And now, Dan Happel's Connecting the Dots. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. I thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Where the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless the USA. God bless the USA. Well, good Sunday. Good afternoon. Welcome to Connecting the Dots with Dan Happel. Thumper, I, uh, uh, I apologize. I should have let you know, but uh, actually I've been um, uh, out of commission here. I had uh, surgery done on my uh, forearm uh, about a week and a half ago, and I have not had a chance to uh, do some of my announcements that I normally do. So, uh, as, as that goes, I've, uh, I've been a little bit uh, behind the eight ball here, but um, I hope Juliet understands. But anyway, we're doing a, a program today because Juliet did a very similar program to what we're going to be talking about today at the recent Red Pill Expo in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, what we're talking about, and we're going to have two hours today to talk about this, and it should be a really good discussion. We're going to be talking about how the United States of America has been manipulating and funding all these different uh, student protest programs, all these uh, various uh, uh, election interference programs through programs like Hammer and Scorecard, uh, we've been involved in monkeying with international affairs literally for the last hundred years plus, and uh, it's all now starting to come back and bite us in the butt because not only has our government learned how to manipulate and do all these things in every other country, now they're doing them to us because they really want to close the lid on the New World Order. Uh, and and bring world government and total control to everybody. And nobody exemplifies that any more than the Bush family. And uh, uh, Juliet Engel sent me a copy of a quote from George Bush at his second inaugural address talking about how the United States was going to promote democracy all over the world. And, um, and then uh, excellent article on the USAID program. Uh, so we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, Julia, welcome to the program. It's always such a pleasure. And 
Uh, you have so much knowledge about all the stuff that's been going on behind the scenes in Georgia, in Ukraine, uh, all over, literally all over the world, and how this all ties together with uh, U.S. meddling that's been going on in an incredible way. So great to see you. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Can you hear me all right? Yep, uh, just great. Okay, I. Uh, it's amazing. That the more I learn, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> it's, it's, We're all there. We yeah. are all there because uh, every time I turn around, I... I get a new book. I, I, you know, I'm uh, constantly getting new books and reading new things. And the level of uh, obfuscation and manipulation and control that the U.S. government's been involved in all over the world for literally a hundred years. It really did start. It kind of started actually under uh, Woodrow Wilson before. World War One, but it's really gotten out of control now. And I think this is a great opportunity to expose some of these things. Yeah, it's it's very hard to to put a finger on what benefit, who benefits from this. You know, it's it's uh, it seems to me sometimes like uh, AI has gotten a hold of all the all the promotional material. The, the, vomiting out of propaganda that the government's done, mulched it all together, decides it's a great idea and is now doing it on us. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the all the loss of gender, loss of identity, loss of religion, loss of humanity, um, confusion over day and night, you know, even even light messing up your biological cycles. I mean, it's it's uh, in MK Ultra, the ultimate goal of of uh, a subject was to give up your soul and to give up your soul you did what they called seeing green so green isn't green isn't chlorophyll it isn't plants it isn't health green is the obliteration of the human soul and uh that's that seems to be the the ultimate goal of all this and uh, I'm sorry, I totally forgot the question. Well, no, no, that's a that's a great lead-in because <laughs> I've been thinking about people, that a lot. People need to understand this whole green movement. I mean, all this stuff is all tied together. Every dot connects. We just everything need to be able yes. to bring it all together because the, the, there's nothing in the world that happens by accident. Everything that's been happening has been ha happening because they planned it that way. It's like uh, FDR said, there's a famous quote by FDR. He said, nothing in government happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet that it was planned that way. And that- by, by who? You know, it's, I, I can say I, I've been, I know the, the top people in multiple international organizations. I've been with the leadership of the UN. I've been with the top people in Russian government, Ukraine government. There's no single entity that is bright enough to be pulling this off. I mean, actually, it's... I think there is, Juliet, and I'm going to say this: Satan. Uh, I think this, that's, but is... no human, no human entity. Exactly, and that's why it's so important for people to understand. This is literally the the a battle royale, the final battle between good and evil, between God and Satan. This. Uh, 
the reason that it's so hard to put our finger on who actually gains and what is the real purpose of all this is because I think it is satanically manipulated and everybody, it's like the CIA is famous for saying, nobody knows anything that's going on because we compartmentalize everything. They give each person one little task and then they compartmentalize that one person and they have a hundred people working together to get some horrible thing done and nobody even knows what it is. And I believe that's really at the heart of this whole thing. And it's a satanic thing. Yes, because there's no human entity that will ever benefit from any of this. It's mm -hmm. it's uh, destroys health, destroys land, destroys property, destroys happiness, destroys lives. So um, the mulching of the, the compacting of humanity into rotting flesh and dry bones is a satanic goal mm -hmm. and the destruction of the human soul is what is described in the satanic rituals as going green so um and i can tell you from experience that since i was in some of those rituals forced as a child to be part of it they would tie me to a wheel that had symbols on it and it would spin it around with me on it and they would spin it faster and faster and people around the outside of the wheel would be chanting there is no light there is no dark there is no good there is no bad there is no man there is no woman you know it on and on and on and on and at the point where you pass out you actually see green as the person in the middle of the wheel that's when you can surrender your soul and um mm. so that's that's what the green agenda is you know people need to understand green agenda is the destruction of human consciousness not just you know the physicality but the destruction of this divine consciousness we have our link to god which is what what preserves us otherwise we'd be we'd be uh, mulch a long time ago mm -hmm. um well and and julia when we've talked about this you uh you always when you bring up the green agenda uh, one of the first things that we think of in the green agenda is that they openly say that uh, nature is God and that uh, mm. there is no God. There is only uh, nature. There is only uh, basically this uh, primordial uh, muddy mix and it's all accidental. It's all uh, biological. There's no, nothing there that we should concern ourselves with the soul. And there, yes. that is absolutely the opposite of what we should be concerned about. That's why Christianity is such a, a threat. Mm -hmm. I, this is an interesting cross. This I got this in, in Russia. It's Scythian. It's Scythian art. And my ancestors were Scythians. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scythia do you know where Scythia is? Well, I no, I can't really say I do, but I would call it um, certainly part of the uh, Eastern Orthodox Church. I see similar symbols to that in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Well, Scythia, the ancient kingdom of Scythia, is uh, the Crimea. Mm -hmm. So if you ask, you know, what is this big deal? Why do they all want the Crimea? Well, Crimea is the holy grail of of God energy in that part of the world. And I've been there often. 
it's an absolutely amazing place. It's covered with evidence of ancient civilizations that predate uh, any any uh, human constructs. You know the 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 giant blocks, the pyramids, the star forts, the, it, it's covered with them. And, mm -hmm. and um, so uh, <laughs> I really prized this. Actually, I got this at Hermitage in St. Petersburg, but it's, it's Scythian gold work. And uh, oh. they have so much of it at the Hermitage that they can only put out a small amount, like one room full at a time. Uh, but the, the Scythians were great creators of, of, gold art and civil art, um, but they were also great believers. Well, let's get into a little bit of that uh, history because that's, uh, when you were at the Red Pill, you kind of talked through some of the history and how some of those connections have, uh, have brought us to where we are today. And uh, that, that, that's a great place to start because there is so much history in that part of the world, and it is so essential to understanding what's happening in the rest of the world. And um, it's so important to understand why uh, China Joe, O Biden, and, and uh, his cohorts are so incredibly invested in the Ukraine. Yes. So let's, let's start with that. Let's start with some of the history and then talking about how the United States got so involved and so manipulative in that area. Well, you can you can start at, at the red pill. I started just 14 years ago, but you can go back to like the year 900 when the, the Varangian Norwegians came down the Volga River and uh, established Novgorod and then Kiev and uh, started uh, essentially Russian civilization, started the empire of Rus, started in Kiev and went eastward. But that was the, the founders of the Rurik dynasty. Uh, they came up against the existing power in Kiev, which were the Khazarians, which were a Turkic people. They're not Semitic, they're Turks, a Turkic tribe, a pagan tribe. Uh, that was very powerful in that region and, and practiced human sacrifice and uh, was uh, uh, basically abhorrent to the um, uh, the new was was not suitable for the new Russian Empire. So uh, they were given a choice. They could either become Muslim because they were on one side was the Ottoman Empire, on the other side was the Russians who were converting to Christianity. So they, they were given the choice to convert from either be Jews or Christians. Well, not Jews or Christians, but Islam, Muslims or Christians. But they chose another way because at that time there were 500,000 uh, Khazarians in Ukraine and 50,000 Edomites. And the Edomites were uh, red-haired, had curly red hair, uh, blue eyes, freckles, and they were the descendants of Esau. So they they were a line from uh, an Abrahamic line. And uh, the Hazarians chose to come part of the Jewish faith, and the Edomites remained as sort of their royalty, their nobility. So when you meet Ukrainians, Ukrainian Jews who have the curly hair, the blue eyes, those are the Edomite royals and the rest are, are the Hazarian, the Ashkenazi. Um, 
So that's that set up an immediate conflict between Christians and the the uh, the Khazarians in Ukraine, which exists to this day. So you're you're seeing it roll out uh, right now. You're, and and I wouldn't expect Americans to have any real relationship to that conflict, except that during the after World War II, a lot of the of the uh, um, Ukrainians, and this includes Cesarians and uh, Ukrainians, who sided with the Nazis during the uh, Nazi invasion of the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. um, they they uh, were following a particularly violent Nazi ideology uh, started by Stepan Bandera, who was so violent and so cruel, stripping people's skin off while they were alive and burning them upside down on crosses and cramming people into churches and burning the churches with the people inside and and on and on that the Nazis were disgusted with them. Um, After the war at the Nuremberg trials, when uh, Nazis were supposedly hung but weren't, Mm -hmm. uh, they were gathered up in Project Paperclip, and this included the Banderites, they went with them, and uh, were brought to Great Britain, to Russia, to uh, Brazil to the United States. So we got something like 15,000 uh, former Nazis resettled with new identities in the United States. And that included, that brought with them the Hazarian Mafia and the Bandrites, so the, the Ukrainian Nazis. Yeah. They became such a, uh, with new identities, new, new papers, you, they're out among us, you don't know who they are. But they were given education, they were supported, they were like nurtured in our society and sent to even things like there's a there's a Banderite Nazi <clears throat> Ukrainian summer camp in upstate New York. Wow. And hundreds of Ukrainian descendants go there. And there they're indoctrinated into the Banderite philosophy and the focus on Ukraine as the homeland. So um, now this starts to make a little more sense. So you've got the the uh, people from Project Paperclip bringing the Ukrainians along with the German Nazis into the United States, where their own children are put into MK Ultra programs. Not the not the uh, migrants, but the children of the intelligence officials like myself were put into the programs, and uh, then put out into place through things like the Senior Executive Service start supporting the Ukrainian Nazi descendants. It's it's a lot, it's complicated, but mm-hmm. it, it became a tumor growing inside the United States. And now you look at who 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 signed up for the project for a new American century, which many believe was the template that led to 9-11, including me. Mm-hmm. Including you, me. Yeah. You, you've got Ukrainian descendants of Ukrainian Nazis. Or, or Ukrainians. I mean, you can't, you can't, uh, unless you could reconstruct the Oklahoma City bombing, which is where all the, all the records were kept of all the people that were brought over during Project Paperclip. Those were destroyed in the, in the Murtaugh. I did not know that, Julie. Yeah. You just gave me a pearl of wisdom that I did not know. So that's where the records for these people is being stored. That's amazing. Yes. Okay. Yes, a lot of people don't know that right across the street uh, from the Oklahoma Murrah Center there, building, mm-hmm. Murrah building uh, is a, a museum to Nazism. 
there's a Nazi museum. I don't know if it's still there, but it was there at the time of the bombing. Wow. And uh, they kept a lot of Nazi memorabilia. And I, I eventually found out about my family's involvement in page, page, paperclip by discovering that uncle after uncle had Nazi memorabilia that they'd obviously been gifted. And theoretically, they were hanging these people. But uh, mm. instead, they were getting grateful Christmas gifts for years from different parts of the United States. Wow. So, uh, no, they weren't. I don't know who was hung, but no, I doubt that any consequential Nazi was hung. So anyway, so we had this culture a couple generations later percolating to the top. Uh, it almost makes MK Ultra make sense because then you have people who are are not U Ukrainian, although I have Ukrainian roots, but they go way back, uh, put into place to support the bringing in of, of the Nazis and the Nazi ideology because uh, the gatekeepers have to have principles and a connection to God. And if you've gone all the way through MKUltra and taken a high position, like uh, in the appointed position in the government or in the technocracies or uh, anywhere where the senior executive service is operating, um, you don't have that moral compass. Mm -hmm. So you can bring in the Banderites, you can bring in Nazism, you can bring in people that are just absolutely passionate about Ukraine as a homeland. So why are we fighting this, this battle with Russia against whom we have no complaints and has had no aggressive actions against us uh, over Ukraine? It's mm -hmm. a group of fanatics who've taken over in Washington, D.C., who have family connections to Ukraine through the Bandrites and the... the uh, it's why they have the links to the mafia. It's why the U.S. State Department actually has training programs in the U.S. for uh, Ukrainian Nazis. It's why you see pictures of Kamala Harris and the head of the of the uh, Azov Brigade. And uh, hmm. you, you, the Ukrainians, they were at uh, J6. There's pictures coming up of them in, at J6. So they were there to promote violence. Uh, so you have family connections, you have historical connections, you have political connections, and Ukraine is an absolutely gorgeous place, and arguably Crimea is one of the most beautiful places in the world. There's there's nothing more amazing than than that particular place, and the energy there is is spiritual and amazing. So they all want control of it, and they see that as their historic homeland, which in a way it is. But if they admit that, then they would have to admit that Israel is not their homeland because they're not actually uh, Semites. They're, right. they're Turkic Ukrainians. And the Ukraine is their homeland, which is equally beautiful. I mean, it's an absolutely beautiful place. It's being destroyed. Mm -hmm. yeah, does that make absolutely. sense? I'm trying to like roll it no, up. No, it me. does. It makes great sense. And then you've like, got bringing in uh, Oklahoma City. See, there's always a reason behind everything that happens. There's always a fundamental reason that was behind all this stuff. And I've always looked for the fundamental reason behind the uh, mirror building. Now, I knew that it was to try to create a, uh, a task force. It was... Uh, designed to create homeland security and create the scenario where uh, they could talk about 
uh, USA patriotism as being a bad thing and uh, talk about how there's all these uh, right-wing extremists and this sort of thing. And then, uh, that's that's a fascinating uh, part of it. I did not know that. Yeah, they had to destroy it before the records were digitized. Mm -hmm. So while they only existed in one place, they had to be destroyed. And uh, a similar thing happened in Moscow while I was there. And that was a, a huge arson fire at a, at a very old, enormous library in the southeast part of Moscow, southwest part of Moscow. And in that were all the records of uh, Hazaria. So uh, all of its, its genetic history, its, its uh, history of interactions. Anyway, it was an enormous library and it was all in there. And they were starting the process of digitizing, which would have made it available to all researchers. And uh, something like a third of it was done. And then this enormous fire broke out that was an arson fire and burned this old library to the ground. So it's it's uh, they're very threatened by the fact of of information getting out. But information I don't know since it was burned. But uh, that, that that no that that makes perfect sense when you say that. Now uh, you know you talked about how um, the MK Ultra program how people were either groomed for government service or groomed for um political positions that's where a lot of the manchurian candidate information comes from um you talk about how the uh m uh, the uh, project paperclip so many of the people that were brought over certainly the the ones that almost everybody know about are uh Werner von braun and some of the other uh german scientists but there were also and this is the part that a lot of people don't get, psychologists, uh, the historians, uh, doctors, medical professionals. I mean, this was a huge effort, wasn't it? Yes, and uh, military experts and, and uh, people like, uh, uh, and pardons for people like Gellin, who then started the DVD in Germany, which is still the ultimate um, spy organization in the world, which probably no one here has heard of, but it's, it's, uh, if you look for then who is actually training the Ukrainian Nazis, it's going to be probably the DVD. I don't know that for sure. I'm just speculating. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, but in, in a way it's, it's like whack-a-mole because, um, they're obviously on a race to keep this information from becoming digital and then trying to get AI, which is only, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. It's whatever you put in it. So uh, they're trying to get ahead of AI so they can they can control the thought process, process on the internet. The thing that they don't understand the human soul. I mean, they do not understand uh, humanity. And I, I got to see that firsthand in, in the Soviet Union. So I started going there in 1990 and it was still the Soviet Union and it was still completely repressed. You couldn't buy paper. 
they were so restrictive of of uh, communications. If you wanted to write a letter, you had to go to the post office and write the letter on a piece of their paper. And uh, wow. so, yeah, it, and you couldn't get carbon paper, no mimeograph machines, no fax machines. Uh, people were allowed to read English, but not speak English. And it made no difference in the end, absolutely none. They, they completely destroyed all, all churches, except as, as historical buildings and architecture. Synagogues were destroyed, uh, mosques were destroyed, um, ground to the ground, I mean, to rubble. And it didn't matter because as soon as the oppression lifted, within 10 years, everything was built back. There was no one alive that remembered how anything had been done previously, but uh, it took a very short period of time for them to like reconstruct it. I don't know if what they're doing now, how that actually compares, but they got old films and they got uh, um, studied you know, churches around the world and, and uh, developed. Now, uh, under Putin, they've rebuilt 30,000 churches. And uh, that's that's an enormous amount. And and that's just Orthodox churches. Mm -hmm. uh, the probably the most prominent Christian uh, religion in Russia is, is uh, Methodist, oh. which makes a lot of sense because Orthodox is is very ritualistic and has uh, is focused around a, a church with a set iconography and architecture. And and most little villages don't have anything like that. They, they might have a community center. And that's the Methodist approach. Mm -hmm. So um, you get worship in like the equivalent of when we have all these these uh, churches in strip malls. So you'll find that uh, 80 to 80, 90 percent of Russia is Christian, but um, probably 40 percent is Orthodox and the rest are Methodist, Anglican, mm -hmm. <laughs> a real mix. Well, um, you know, the Orthodox Church, and a lot of people don't, a lot of people that don't really understand history don't make the connection, but the Russian Orthodox Church came from the Eastern Orthodox Church, which was yes. basically the, the uh, where the Catholic Church survived uh, through the Dark Ages and at a time when Rome was being sacked and destroyed and everything else, the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, was alive and well. And in fact, they were, uh, they were the standout against the uh, Ottoman Empire until I think it was uh, 1452 or something like that, 1453, when finally uh, the, the last of the uh, Ottoman uh, uh, took over the Eastern Orthodox Church, and by then it had moved up into Russia, and that's where the remnant stayed in place was in uh, in Russia. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It was uh, my ancestor, my thirty second great grandmother, was Saint Olga of Kiev, and uh, they they were the the Rurik dynasty. And they were the ones that that required the Hazarians to choose between being Muslim and Christian, and they chose to be to be a third the third alternative. But um, it's it's interesting, you know that uh, I wish I had a picture of it. The the picture the uh, 
trident that uh, Zelensky wears on his shirt. They oh, all wear uh-huh. that trident, uh-huh. and they call it a trident. Uh-huh. It's it's not a trident. It is actually the Holy Spirit. It's a bird. It's a white dove flying. And if you look at the at the old um, church, uh, the old uh, robes, the old uh, churches from the time of the Burek dynasty, which which was a dynasty of almost a thousand years, it was the longest ruling dynasty in the world until they they intermarried all the time and kind of idioted themselves out. But um, the at the top of every Orthodox church, you look up in the dome and you expect to see a, a biblical Baroque scenes. No, you see one white dove. And that's what the, the symbol is. It's a it's a dove with the head pointed down and the wings pointed up. And it's it's coming from from God to people into your heart. So they've they've completely um co-opted a beautiful Christian symbol into something atheistic and and uh uh, conflagrated with war mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well um that's a great great discussion and lead-in now let's uh let's talk about how we have uh allowed this whole process to get us involved and embroiled in all these conflicts all over the world we're involved in things that we have no real right to be involved in now mary fanning and i i you've not met mary but i i want you guys to become friends because uh i'm telling you this lady is so sharp but um she was the one that exposed a program that was made by dennis montgomery called the hammer Mm -hmm. and then from that also there was another program called scorecard where the CIA could go into any country in the world that they wanted to and literally determine the elections by stealing the elections. Uh, It included software for programming uh, the computers so that they would uh, misread the results of the actual vote tabulations. It included all these other things and uh, it was created uh, back in uh, George Bush's time, but it became active right around the first part of the uh, Obama administration. And Obama actually used scorecard and used the hammer against the American people. And uh, they converted something that was supposedly to protect us into something that is now controlling us. So this is kind of a, you've seen firsthand, you've seen the manipulation, you brought that uh, USAID document, uh, that was George uh, W. Bush's little uh, treat. Um, I know that, uh, uh, you know, the, the project for the new American century, that was part of what they were doing with this. Let's talk about how that whole process has kind of evolved into where we're at today. Yeah, that that uh, can you show that graphic of the of the? Um... Uh, I bet I can. Um, I'll tell you what. I'll send it to Thumper, and I'll bet Thumper can pull it up. Um, let me do that. I will send that to Thumper, and then we can. Uh, 
Because it'd be well, worth the worth the the story behind this publication is, yeah. is worth the story. Absolutely. Um, okay, uh, Thumper, I'm just sending this to you. It should be there uh, any second now. And um, that is uh, the USAID uh, kind of overview of that program. Yes, but they outed themselves with it and, and took mm -hmm. it down off, scrubbed it immediately. And uh, so very few copies exist. I just had it on a USB drive That's since right. 2005. So mm -hmm. I've had it for almost 20 years. Wow. Squirreled away. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, it's funny, but I actually met Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, I was, <laughs> this is one of my funnier stories. When I was a county commissioner in uh, Madison County, Montana, Donald Rumsfeld bought a ranch over on the Big Hole River. And uh, I was trying to open a gravel pit on a BLM allotment over there, BLM ground. Uh, and it happened to be across the road from uh, his his ranch. Huh. And so he didn't want it. And he made it abundantly clear that it wasn't going to happen. But he invited me to breakfast one morning with two of the ranchers over in the area and myself and his ranch manager. And it was fascinating because he must have had uh, a CIA dossier on me because the first thing he started talking about was, you know, that uh, the Bilderbergers is just a bunch of old men. That's just a conspiracy theory. Uh, and of course, nobody else in the room had the slightest idea what he was talking about. It was directed directly at me. Uh, we had quite a conversation and it was, it was fascinating. I, uh, he, he had, probably a CIA dossier on everybody he ever met. But mm -hmm. it was about a two-hour meeting with him. And at the end of it, uh, we didn't open the gravel pit because he made sure the BLM was not uh, not going to do give any kind of a permit for that, uh, for that gravel pit, even though it was a great location and everything else. Can, anyway. can you go 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 up one? Go to the go to the uh, front page, the other way. Go to the the, the cover. Yeah, right there. Okay. It should come up. I hope. Well, it's not showing any of the graphics. But anyway, uh, yeah, the graphics didn't come through, Julia. Oh, how odd. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, they've done everything to strip this. Every time I try to use it, it, it attacks my computer. So I keep it on a on a flash drive. Yeah, it what didn't come through on mine either. So um, uh, I didn't get any graphics, but I did get all the prints. So that was the important thing. Well, everyone, uh, if if you can make it available on off your website, everyone should read this. And what it is, is... Uh, can you go to that that page that showed the Bush doctrine? It's the blue one, the second page, basically. Okay, give me a moment. Because uh, 
as at, at that time, I was running an NGO in Russia called Miramed and a second NGO called the Angel Coalition. And we were receiving USAID money and had to, to sign an oath, basically, that we would abide by the Bush Doctrine, which was not to interfere in any way with any uh, local governments, not, not to do any lobbying for laws, um, not to interfere with the political process in any way. So it's it's the blue one there. It's, you can see the top. I guess yeah. that would be B. There okay. it is, right there. So it's the policy of the United States to seek and support the growth of democratic movements and institutions in every nation and culture with the ultimate goal of ending tyranny in our world. But here's the key thing we had to sign on to. America will not impose our own style of government on the unwilling. Our goal instead is to help others find their own voice, attain their own freedom, and make their own way. This was his address, his inaugural address in 2005. In July of 2005, USAID came out with this publication called Demo Democracy Rising. Mm -hmm. And up until that point, uh, the United States government had denied any involvement with any of the color revolutions. And I suppose most of your listeners are well aware of the color revolutions. So these were, uh, as soon as the Soviet Union fell, there were um, suddenly glorious summers of love. I mean, it, it's just like summer of love in Seattle. It's like the, mm -hmm. the, the glorious hippie freedom, drugs in the street uh, celebration of, of love and debauchery. <laughs> In Except all of these, they were burning buildings down and doing. Oh, all they this did here stuff. too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Kiev, which is uh, they started actually started with Kiev. So by 2005, they'd had a couple of revolution in Kiev, the Orange Revolution, mm -hmm. and they had started that back in the 1990s, trying to push Kiev into uh, voting for a government which was favorable to the U.S. and and the, uh, it took them until 2005 until they had infiltrated enough of Ukraine to uh, force a re-election because the Ukrainian government went, or the Ukrainian people uh, went to the polls and voted in a uh, pro-Soviet or pro-Russian uh, president and, and uh, because they wanted good relations with Russia. Ukraine had always been part of Russia. The, the territory that the Russians are occupying now was Russia since the beginning of time. It's occupied by indigenous Russian people. They speak Russian, Russian Orthodox. It's, it's never been part of anything separate. In fact, the word Ukraine means edge or, or scrap. It's, mm. it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's been disputed land between Russia and Poland since the beginning of history and and uh it wasn't until the till the um rurik dynasty included it under the russian empire before that it was nominally part of poland so um what's so interesting is that you can see the groundwork how how after denying any involvement in any of these revolutions this publication by usaid comes out essentially bragging about how they had influenced judges, how they'd influenced lawyers, courts, uh, political 
uh, appointees, how they had controlled the media in all of these countries, how they trained journalists, how they taught uh, uh, lobbyists to operate, how how they had uh, brought the groups through to the United States um, through the Open Society Network. This was uh, George Soros. George Soros. Joe Soros's influence. And you can read this and realize he's never spent his own money. This is U.S. taxpayer money. It's going to support all of this. So they they had a formula and they used it. They used it successfully on Kyrgyzstan. They used it successfully uh, in uh, a number of other countries, but it was not successful, particularly successful in Ukraine. Ukraine was not going along with the program. And in 2005, even though they got uh, a, a U.S. A president Yanovich. Oh gosh, I always forget his name. Yanukovych is the one who is pro-Russian, and uh, <laughs> it'll come to me. Anyway, yeah. they they voted in the the um, pro-U.S. Uh, president who's actually married to a State Department, some a woman that worked in the State Department. So I think there's your MK Ultra sex magic uh, mm -hmm. program graduates. They became the wives of of these um uh select politicians who were who were meant for greatness uh so so uh in 2009 uh, after four years of of pretty much chaos in ukraine this is the period of time that ukraine went woke and i was there a lot during that time going back and forth between moscow and and Ukraine because we're working on human trafficking programs. And you could see the difference. Whereas in the 1990s, it was pretty much the same. Everybody was getting getting along. Russia and Ukraine were, Russians and Ukrainians were, uh, there were no visas required to go across the border. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody had Ukrainian family. They were going back and forth. It was, it was pretty open. Then suddenly, uh, all of these carpetbaggers, when, as soon as they had a, a favorable government in Kiev, these, I, I could just call them American carpetbaggers, just come rolling in, all these NGOs with uh, nominally NGOs under like the Soros program, Clinton Foundation, another one, Open Society Network, um, IREX, uh, there's, a, huh. there's a whole, mm -hmm. whole scat of them all. Oh, very. Heavily funded by uh, the U.S. USAID, would roll in, start lobbying, start start looking for uh, the woke people, the people that they could bring in influence. They weren't interested in the people that were actually like doing grassroots, uh, improving civil society, or, or trying to build churches, or out there really doing work. <laughs> they wanted the woke ones to come to the U.S. and and start getting a paycheck. So that's what they did. And over the course of five years, um, so that the next election was in 2010, uh, they thought they had it. They thought they had uh, Ukraine and uh, they go ahead with what they had, whatever it was they had planned, but they didn't because the Ukrainian overwhelmingly once again voted in uh, Viktor Yanukovych, who wanted peace with Russia, wanted Ukraine to stay neutral, didn't want NATO in Ukraine. Uh, wanted good relationships with East and West, and not just exclusively the United States, and that that wasn't going to do. So, um, and that was right uh, during the uh, uh, 
uh, second uh, Obama administration that that happened. That was what, 2014, 15? Th this was 2010. It took them oh. a total of 14 years to get wow. to the point where they actually could get Ukraine to war. Um, okay. This this was, they reelected Yanukovych and he had a, another term during which time um, the the fomenting of of uh, wokeness and which led to um, a growth in the uh, presence of the Ukrainian Nazis, the increase in terrorism on the population. So the sort of like the Ukrainian brown shirts appeared out of nowhere, uh, uh, clearly from this USAID report funded by USAID. Um, so began uh, putting pressure on the population to like uh, and to demonize the Russians who are located in the eastern part of, the, of Ukraine. Now, Western Ukraine is liberal, rural, mixed a mixture of ethnic uh, Ukrainians, Poles. Uh, there's a Hungarian population. There's a German population. So it's all kinds. Of, it's a polyglot society in the West. In the East, it's Russian, and on the and in the east, that's also where the industrial base is. So all the wealth of Ukraine, other than agricultural, is in the east. Ukraine doesn't have oil and gas. Uh, they steal it from Russia. And that's a lot of what all of this was about, because um, uh, Russia wanted Ukraine to stop stealing the gas. What they would do is they, they would hold Germany hostage and Europe hostage. So the pipelines to Europe went through Ukraine. And every time Ukraine got called on the carpet for stealing gas, um, they would cut off the supply to Europe and then blame it on Russia. Mm. So that's why Russia built the Nord Stream pipeline. That's why the Ukrainians blew it up. They don't want that to happen. Also, uh, the, the South Stream pipeline through Turkey and up through Bulgaria, the, that, that one is operational, but the Nord Stream was gonna supply Europe without having to go through any of Ukrainian territory and that that mm. was unacceptable to the Ukrainians. So um, okay, so then so the struggle went on and and uh, Yanukovych wanted to end the stealing of gas. Now who who benefits who who is the biggest beneficiary of the stolen Ukrainian gas, which by the way, is then shipped to Bulgaria, shipped back to Ukraine where they pretend it's coming from Ukraine and then mm -hmm. sold at three times the profit to Europe. The biggest, uh, the biggest beneficiary is Burisma. Right. Burisma is a holding company. It's a gas and oil holding company. They don't actually have any gas or any oil. It's all gas and oil that's stolen uh, from the pipelines coming from Russia to Europe. Hence, Nord Stream 2. Couldn't have that. Um, and who's who's on the board of Burisma? Certainly, yeah. Hunter, Hunter and, Biden. And who, who's the big guy that uh, guarantees that he stays on that board? Right. So we have a president who is whose family is is uh, completely beholden to a company in Ukraine which steals gas. That's all it is. It's just theft, but it's worth billions and billions of dollars. So we get to 2014. Now they really can't. They have to get rid of Yanukovych. They can't let this this pro-Russian 
neutral Ukraine exist because uh, Nord Stream 2 is going to be completed and uh, they're not going to need to run the pipelines through Ukraine anymore. And Yanukovych is going to make Ukraine a neutral, peaceful territory like Austria, mm -hmm. very successful, neutral country. Ukraine was going to be the same model, but they couldn't have that because then, then the corruption ends and the big guy doesn't get paid. So 2014 <laughs> comes along and Ukraine has an election. And even with all the balloons and the hoopla and the, and the parades and everything, the, the total woke scene, Eastern Ukraine votes as a massive block, and that's 10 million people. And Yanukovych is elected again. So they're not getting their candidate, who at that time was uh, Petr Poroshenko, who I knew is Alan Waltzman. He wasn't being elected. He wasn't oh. elected. Yanukovych was elected. So um, that wasn't going to do. So they went all out and started uh, rounding up people to come to the Maidan in Kiev and voice their complaints. And in the international media, it was all put out there like this was a stolen election and they were protesting the election. They were protesting everything from potholes and roads to um, books and libraries. I mean, it was an open invitation to come to Kiev and voice your grievances, which seemed like a great thing to people. And it was a great thing. It started like the summer of love again, camps and, and free food and, Victoria Newland passing out chocolate chip cookies, and and it just looked like lots of fun, and that was going on, but it was going on too slowly. So so uh, hundreds of people were camping in the in the Maidan, which is the big square in central Kiev, and sort of having a good time, and that wouldn't do. So uh, someone gave the order, and uh, snipers who were located on the tops of buildings started shooting and their orders were, and, and I've heard it said that a cable came from the State Department that said, we need a hundred dead Ukrainians. And and um, I'll find that somewhere. Uh -huh. But but uh, the absolute truth is that the, the snipers began shooting simultaneously at police and at protesters. And since they didn't know the snipers were there, they were just sitting ducks. So they would shoot a policeman, then they would shoot a protester, and the two would go at each other. And and that created the degradation into total chaos and violence. And then the Nazi brigades came in and just started beating everyone. Hundreds of people died. Um, and a reign of terror was unleashed on the Russian population of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, for instance, in Odessa, a trade building that was full of, of uh, Russian staff, because that's another Russian city. Uh, people were locked inside the building. It was hammered shut, and then they set the building on fire. And 40 people were burned to death inside the buildings. And many people were injured, jumping out of windows. Um, so it was a it was a wow. intimidation. It was um, de-Russianization. It was it was a declared genocide. And and Yulia Timoshenko. Uh, who was the co-president with um, an earlier version of, of um, the, the person I can't remember. Uh, she openly declared on television that it was time to genocide Russia. 
and that mm. no Russian should be left alive in Ukraine. And they, they made the Russian language illegal. They made uh, Russian Orthodox religion Ill illegal. And still they weren't getting the violence they wanted. So the Ukrainian Nazi brigades um, started shelling the eastern half of the country. So they began bombing, daily bombing, Donetsk, Luhansk, Kharkiv, um, and 14,000 people were killed during the eight years that they were doing that between 2014 and 2022. And just before that started, the Crimea, who had their act together, held a plebiscite. Mm -hmm. So the, the Maidan chaos broke out in February of 2014. In March of 2014, Crimea held a plebiscite and voted to get out of Ukraine and to join Russia. And they did it so fast and they were so well organized that it was done before Ukraine even realized what they were doing. And they left. And by May, uh, Donetsk, Luhansk, and Kharkiv also held plebiscites and voted to leave Russia, but the Ukrainians were on to them. And by that time, the Ukrainian army was was uh, joining voluntarily joining the uh, Nazi and right brigades and uh, declaring war on the break what they call them the breakaway republics. It was really Russian territory and uh, mm -hmm. full of Russians and. Uh, by the time uh, Russia entered it, there were 8 million Russians still living there. So uh, in 2022, well, 2015, um, Russia started negotiating to end the violence against the Russian citizens or Russian people in Eastern Ukraine. So that was with the Minsk Accords. So um, the G7, it was representatives from the G7, uh, Merkel, Sarkozy, um, they met with Putin and uh, uh, they, they hammered out an agreement uh, at, uh, to stop, start a ceasefire and then to start negotiating um, neutrality for Ukraine. That's what Russia wanted, just didn't want NATO in there. Right, right. And uh, later on, of course, they didn't stop. The bombardment continued. And uh, Angela Merkel was quoted shortly after that saying, well, we were just buying time, you know, because they were so stupid, they believed us. And um, it really took, because Russia was demilitarized. While I was there, the focus was on uh, downsizing the, the army, downsizing the equipment, not producing weapons, uh, eliminating the nuclear arsenal. Uh, they took the demilitarization seriously. So when Ukraine basically invaded itself in uh, 2014 and 2015. Russia couldn't respond, even if it wanted to, because mm. uh, they only had like a 2,000, 200,000 troops. And by that time, Ukraine had built up an army of half a million, many, many of whom had been trained in the United States. And, and they had state-of-the-art equipment. They had the best training in the world. They had it was the second largest standing army in the world, basically moving against their own people in Eastern Ukraine. So it, it took until 2022 for Russia to be able to militarily respond at all. Hmm. Well, I know that Russia has, uh, 
has got some uh, really, really good military technology right now. But uh, we've, we've been sending just about everything that we have in our entire defense budget over there. And, uh, uh, you know, at, at this point, it looks like if we had to uh, go to war against somebody, we wouldn't have the military materiel to do it because we sent so much of it over there. Yeah, um, and the EU too. Germany says they could only maintain a war for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. they they couldn't stop a Russian invasion. At, at this point, now you've created a monster, because Russia did not want to militarize. It was its budget was like something like ten uh, percent of the U.S. military budget uh, up until now. Uh, it's still much lower than the U.S. military budget. Um, it was a complete miscalculation of who the Russian people are, and and this this uh, woke ideology which took over in Ukraine, which was a, a horrible thing to watch, and I couldn't believe it when I came back to the United States in 2010, and started seeing it here. Mm -hmm. I mean that this idea that that uh, uh, there is no light, there is no dark, there is no right, there is no wrong, and the satanic mulched up thinking that was forced on Ukraine, we're just picking it up. I mean, it's Ukrainians fought it off much longer than we have. How do you think, and Juliet, this is a fascinating, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to your answer, but how do you think this, uh, as you call it, hodgepodge of CIA uh, thinking that has been part of the MK Ultra program uh, how do you think that took over so much of our government? Well, I think uh, I th I think through the the mech I, it, again I you've got Satanism mixed up in here too, mm -hmm. and I I think that the people that founded the CIA were Satanists, and and uh, I think that. Uh, where you've got communism, Nazism, and Satanism all mulched up together, giving each other power. Um, that was the culture of the CIA. My uncle was one of the founders of the NSA. He came from the, the CIA. And uh, he said that those people were, were just evil. And um, I, I don't know. Well, actually, I do, do know quite a few of them. But... Um, yeah, I don't see the point the to it. I... Yeah, well, just part of the thinking, I guess. Um, and, and that's what I was hoping you would uh, uh, show how this is all kind of tied together. That's how they've ended up destroying us from within, just like they've destroyed all these other countries from without. Uh, we, we've, uh, we've literally created the kind of degenerate, uh, insane culture now and uh, all these political programs that are so completely out of control that the whole system is just rotten from the base up. Yeah, I think um, I think that the mechanism, I think that the CIA controlled the MKUltra programs, and I think there were many variations of that. I, I know about mine, but there were super soldiers, there were... Um, uh, technocrats, there were IT, there were 
training journalists. And I think that once they got someone they could control, that they put them in the senior executive service. And, and I think that's the only person in, in high office I've heard attack the senior executive service is Donald Trump. He knows what it is. And it it is uh, estimated at eight to 10,000 uh, people who are really running this country. And they are higher paid. Nobody knows who they're paid from. They're higher paid than any government employee. Uh, they cannot be fired. You wonder why people in the FBI that, that have been clearly implicated in doing illegal as well as immoral things can't be fired. Well, they're senior executive service. You can't touch them. Um, they are inserted into every program. You have no control over. Uh, as a grantee, we had senior executive people inserted into our program, knew nothing. We were working on human trafficking. They knew nothing about it. They added nothing. We were forced to pay them, plus they were paid on top of that. And and uh, they did nothing. They added nothing. They created chaos. And all I could all I could think of is that they're in, put in there to keep us from doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think they are like the the foot soldiers that infiltrate government, uh, elected legislatures. Um, uh, they're there to destroy, and they're there under control. Well, this is an area that probably not a lot of people have much understanding of. We talk about the deep state. We talk about the administrative state in D.C., but we never get to the senior executive service. And I guess that's because that's the way they want it. They don't want us to realize that above all these administrators and all these paid uh, bureaucrats is another layer that actually controls all the actions. Yeah, uh, and somebody the controls them. Yeah, exactly, at the highest level. And you yeah. say there's about 12,000 of them? Well, it's estimated, I've heard estimates of 8,000 and 10,000. You can actually, uh, they used to publish something called, and your viewers should look this up, something called the Plum Book, P-L-U-M oh, Book. Okay. And it's it was put out every few years, and it listed everyone that's in the senior executive service, or or that's what it was supposed to do. And uh, you can look up people like, okay, why didn't they fire this guy? Oh, well, there he is. And and why on earth isn't this person in jail? Oh, well, he's in the Plum Book, um, and it's called the Plum Book because it's it's a purpley color. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I don't think it's any more nefarious than that, but. Uh, well, I don't know. They, yeah, yeah. they got plum jobs, you know. So. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. I but, thought of that. As I said it, I thought I'm going to regret saying. <laughs> yeah, the plum book. I think that's wonderful. I'm going to go look it up. Um, yeah, so so the that's one organization that you cannot mention, or if you mention it, it sort of goes nowhere. The, the senior executive service, it's big, it's bad it's it's destroying things the other one is the international organization of migration which is a un agency but it is responsible for all the mass migration that's going on now at the border into our country out of our country uh, around the world and on their own website they brag that they in the last year have helped 270 million migrants 
Wow. 270 million migrants. And that's called the International Organization of Migration, IOM. Okay. And uh, we had the misfortune to talk about how they control NGOs that are really doing things. We were running a great program with the Angel Coalition, as you know, in in uh, Russia and helping people in the former Soviet Union. But we got we were getting State Department money through the office to monitor and and um, the tip office, the trafficking in persons office of the State Department, and. Uh, we were forced to receive our funding through IOM. So they basically put us inside IOM. They gave us an unspecified amount of money. So I could never find out what our grant was that we were, we were responsible for it. But uh, as the, as the CEO, I had no idea how much we were getting. I would get reports showing that it had paid for 15 employees. We had two. So I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know where this money was going or what it was for or or what percentage of of uh, what we were normally responsible for we were actually getting. I think it was quite low. And uh, so I could tell, you know, I, this was in the 2000s and it just <laughs> looked to me like they were laundering money for something that they were making us responsible for. Mm. And that's exactly what happened because uh, as soon as as soon as I left Russia, they came after me for a huge amount of money that uh, I'd never seen, never had anything to do with it. I had to fight them for about a year. Hmm. Um, and who came after you, the US government? Yeah, US government and uh, the <clears throat> European Commission. Hmm. But this, but, but they, they, they were all protecting the International Organization of Migration. Mm -hmm. And there's your culprit. It's a UN organization. We fund it to the hilt. We're paying for our own uh, destruction mm -hmm. through this, through this uh, quasi-governmental organization, which hides behind NGOs. So when they talked about uh, IOM's money that they were getting in Russia, they would say, oh, it's going to Miramet. That's us. We were getting this much of it, and the rest of it was going to uh, IOM for wow. God knows what. <laughs> and and there, there was no accounting of it at all. Not to me. Wow. Not no, to that's, me. That, that figures. Uh, Juliet, that's, uh, that's a fascinating thing. Now, we, we keep hearing, and I, they keep trying to go after Putin and uh, make him sound like he's like the worst guy in the entire world, uh, and he's just an evil dictator and a horrible man and all these other things. I look at what he's done in his own country, and, you know, you talked about the, the woke-ism that went on in, um, in Ukraine. It was going on at the same time they were trying to do it in Russia. And, yes. um Putin said, we're not going to put up with this crap. We don't want a, a transsexual, bisexual, homosexual, bizarre culture. We are traditional people. I, I'd like you to talk about that because you saw that kind of firsthand. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, the same people that were 
showing up with bags full of money and and uh, lots of invitations to go to the United States and and uh, work for um, organizations, I suspect, like IOM, uh, took off in Ukraine, which considered itself very Western and, and progressive and uh, did not go over so well in Russia, although a lot of that went on. I mean, if you went to a, a party at the American ambassador's house, all the progressive Russian candidates and the opposition candidates, and they would be there. And uh, the more traditional um, sort of the real Russians or the pro-Russian Russians uh, were never invited. And oh. uh, I was very seldom invited. And uh, yeah, it, it did not work as well. Although I was in a meeting in the mayor's office in uh, Moscow with uh, uh, Mayor Luchkov, who was uh, probably the most powerful man in Russia in the period before uh, Putin took office. And uh, the mayors of Moscow have always been extremely powerful. And how Moscow goes, Russia goes, mm -hmm. or it was true at the time. Um, and he was interrupted in the middle of a meeting that we were holding about having a conference in Moscow. And uh, he was presented with the proposition to have a gay pride parade in Moscow. And uh, they said, well, they're having one in Kiev. They want to have one in Moscow. And he said, doesn't sound like a good idea, and tore it up. <laughs> that was the end of it. That was the end. There was no gay pride parade. There never has been a, a sanctioned gay pride parade. And it, and it it was indicative of the the uh, turn towards family values. And they, they had some crazy ideas. At first, they thought, OK, we will find people for not having children. So that didn't work. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Obviously, so, yeah. people can have children. So finally, yeah. they got around to saying, "Okay, we will give you tax benefits for having children." You know, so so there was a there was a process or some kind of funny things like that happened, but um, they went they went for tradition. They never entirely trusted the West, although they they consider themselves Western. They didn't. They have never been uh, uh, particularly fond of of China. So uh, the idea of Russia and China melding together, that'll never happen, never. Um, Russia didn't want to conquer the West. They wanted to be part of the West. And uh, but uh, now I don't know what's going to happen. I, mm -hmm. the, the Russians I speak to are so angry and so uh, frustrated and, and deeply hurt that uh, at, at the way they've been treated. And I don't. I don't blame them. I mean, they've been called. Uh, it, it, the most imp insulting thing is that they're called stupid, disorganized. Um, the constant referrals of our, of the way our generals and and leaders reference them as as uh, too stupid, to to like mount a response or produce weapons. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> not true at all. They're energetic, brilliant, smart. Very, very clever. Um, just look at the music and art they produce. I mean, it tells you everything. And the computers yep. they produce. And the, uh, they just, they weren't, they didn't want a war culture. They they were scaling back, seriously scaling back. And, uh, but now this is reversed. 
-hmm. And now you've got a, a machine. They're going to have an army of 1.2 million by the end of next year, fully trained, ready to roll, led by this, this uh, heroic, they, they view the Wagners as uh, folk heroes. And so the Wagners are out there uh, almost advocating, but not quite advocating for just rolling right through Poland. And and uh, as long as you have the current government in place, it, it's going to be moderated, and that that uh, that uh, violence is going to be dampened. But if you take Putin out, and I'm sure the people that are trying to take Putin out know very well, you get a Prigozhin or somebody like that in there, mm -hmm. uh, Russia could roll right over Europe. Well, you were there as. Russia went from being the Soviet Union under full-blown communism uh, and, until, what, 2010, roughly mm -hmm. the time that you left. So you got to see the nurturing of uh, their, you know, and I hate this term, it disgusts me, but their democracy. Uh, you, you saw the nurturing of uh, so-called uh, independent uh and they call it democratic i would call it a republic but anyway uh and and you actually had a chance at one point to meet putin uh you said you met him at an airport uh yeah. one time and um you have all kinds of friends over there i, I know and matter of fact you talked about doing a uh kind of a fact-finding trip back over to Russia, uh, you've developed some really, really strong relationships there. I want you to describe for our listeners why you think that what's going on right now is not as the evil Putin that we're hearing in the lamestream media and what you really think about Putin as a man, as a leader, as a Christian, um, and then what you think about the Russian people, you said something very important. They are so disgusted with us right now that, uh, uh, frankly, the good relationship we should have had with them, uh, a lot of it's evaporated. And, and, and go ahead and kind of flesh that out, if you would. Oh, it's true. I, I, I went over there in 1990, and I saw the... I only saw the good of it, the the incredible opportunity for a great relationship. And 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 uh, everyone I, I met at that time, and lots of them were very young students who are now heads of, of uh, ministries and things now. But um, they were optimistic. They were idealistic. They, they wanted to know everything about America. They looked at us like we could do no wrong. Um, uh, it was such a golden opportunity and almost immediately within 10 years comes the the project for a new american century and they and the uh starting to the color revolutions which were denied vehemently denied by the by the state department and by the us government i mean they, they were oh no those those were indigenous movements you know people who'd never seen a balloon in their lives suddenly had balloons you know and flags and color coded and and uh, western slogans printed which you couldn't you couldn't print anything at that time so if mm -hmm. it was printed it came across the border um 
uh, yeah, it was it was a, a golden opportunity lost, mm -hmm. and it was lost due to. And that's the that's the thing. I still don't understand how even people who are Ukrainian Nazis think they're going to benefit from this. Um, this well, fiasco. that was incredible greed that uh, we had an opportunity to give the Russian people uh, uh, a hand up, not a hand out. I'm not talking giving them a hand out, but showing them how to build businesses and do things. Uh, we have an excellent opportunity to create a, a tremendous ally. And, and it happened. It happened. Uh, they learned yeah, all of this. Well, and the thing is, is we've got to understand one thing. Russia was one of our greatest allies up through World War One, mm -hmm. And we actually sent uh, a an expeditionary force to fight the Bolsheviks on behalf of the White Army at the end of World War One. And as a matter of fact, my great-great-uncle uh, Al Shellick, who was a Russian uh, who spoke English, was one of the interpreters. And when the White Army fell in 1921-22, uh, uh, he escaped with the U.S. troops and ended up back in the United States. Yeah, and, it fell because the Americans pulled out. Right. When the Tsar died. Yep, they pulled out. Yep. Just left the Czechs who were there and the and the uh, Russians to um, be killed. It was mm -hmm. it was an awful thing. Yeah, well, it was a, we've, it was... we've had great opportunities, but it's the manipulation, the meddling. And, you know, you mentioned and certainly George Herbert Walker Bush. I think that man was sure evil because his father, Prescott Bush, uh, was one of the absolute worst of the, the globalists that were pushing globalism versus the American system back in the 30s and the 40s and uh, he started union well he was he didn't start it he married into the Harriman family and was given the title of senior executive vice president of Union Bank in New York and ended up uh, being caught laundering money for the Nazis and instead of going to prison like anybody else would have, if you and I did something like that, would have been in jail. He ended up being a U.S. senator and given the high offices in the U.S. government. And then, of course, it created the whole Bush dynasty. Uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, who was the head of the CIA when uh, 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 John Kennedy was killed in Dallas and was actually in Dallas the day that Kennedy was killed. Um, ended up being president of the United States and his kid and they were they figured they'd have a whole uh, whole family of uh, Bushes in the White House uh, but Donald Trump kind of put an end to that uh, in uh, 2016. Anyway I'm, I'm getting a little off track but I'm trying to give you a whole rich texture of things that we can be talking about here. This globalism crap that we've been pushing for decades, if not a full century. Um, it's all coming to roost right now. And what do you think about uh, Vladimir Putin's popularity as a president of 
Russia, and why do you think he has that much popularity? Well, his his recent polling numbers have him at 89% favorable. It's the highest he's ever been. Um, the Russian population is completely behind the uh, military action in Ukraine. And the Western media keeps calling it an illegal war. Well, A, it's not a war because Ukraine never separated from Russia. So it's it's an internal action. So it is Russia dealing with Russia, um, which is another, another uh, story related to the fact that uh, Prisma was stealing gas, but I won't I won't get into that at this moment. But um, what was the question? Well, <laughs> I lost myself we, were kind again. Of, we were kind of trying to get back to the uh, uh, why Putin is so popular oh, yeah. in Russia and and why so many of the things that he's doing right now in Ukraine. If you see the big picture, they make a whole lot of sense and. Uh, if you don't see the big picture, then you're missing out on what's going on there. That's kind of the... Yeah, you really have to start with the fact that in 1991, when the Soviet Union broke apart, mm -hmm. uh, each republic, uh, each of the, I believe, 17 republics, had to file its, its national sovereignty documents with the United Nations. That was the agreement. And they all did it, except Ukraine. Ukraine never turned in its uh, its uh, documentation. It never registered its constitution. Uh, it never did any of the paperwork. And the reason was that as long as they didn't, then uh, they could keep stealing gas. And the reason for that is they would steal the gas and resell it to Germany. But uh, eventually, Germany would would catch on to that, and they and the Russians would demand payment, and the Germans would say no, and Russia would get stuck with the bill. If if it was you, a, a separate country stealing the gas, then Russia would have the right to go in and and uh, shut down Ukraine. But it was Russia stealing its own gas and recycling it through Bulgaria and selling it on to Europe. So they got stuck with that. Plus, they got stuck with a number of fines because Ukraine had huge debts from uh, um, Soviet times and and had never paid them. And in order to, they, Ukraine wanted to be part of the EU, wanted to be part of NATO from the beginning. But in order to do that, they would have to pay these enormous debts. And by staying part of Russia, Russia got stuck with the debts. So Russia couldn't get an IMF loan or couldn't get um, standing with the United Nations until the debts were paid. So Russia paid Ukraine's debts, and these were billions of dollars. This was, these were huge debts. So Ukraine was benefiting by not becoming an independent country. So when um, the like the breakaway republics aren't, it was just an administrative move. When uh, Crimea held its plebiscite, it was just like we were we are under this administration of the Russian Federation. We want to be under this administration of the Russian Federation. They just it's like East. Eastern Washington wants to become part of Idaho, and Oregon wants to become part of Idaho. So it's it's like that. It's not like they want to become part of France. So so uh, it, it was an administ. All these things were administrative um, uh, problems, not international problems. So 
there was so there isn't any war. Russia will never refer to war in Ukraine because it's an internal action. They call it the internal action. Um, so uh, Ukraine is still not a country. It may never be a country. It may be gone after this because Poland is making a lot of noise about uh, Ukraine wants to go into Poland and take out all the eligible men, of which there are millions, who moved across from Ukraine into Poland to avoid service. So they're, they're students, they're doctors, they settled there. They've been there for 10 years. You know, it's, it's uh, now the Ukrainians are saying, we have the right to come into Poland and take all these men out, send them to the battlefield. And Poland is saying, no. And the men are saying, no, let us stay and we'll fight for Poland. Mm -hmm. So I think that's going to happen. You've got the Wagners there. They're, they're tremendously influential. These, these are guys that are viewed in Russia as, as absolute heroes. Which is why they, when they did the mutiny, it was so so dangerous. And I have a theory about about what happened to Prigozhin. But I'd um, like to hear it. Oh, I well, would. I'd like to hear it. When Wagner mutinied, which they did for for whatever reason, it, well, they had a lot of reasons. But they they a group of Prigozhin's best troops started headed up to Moscow. They didn't know what they were doing. They weren't informed. It was like uh, the same kind of, you only know what you need to know. So they were told that that the Russian army was going to come and attack the Wagnerians, and they needed to go attack them first. So the people that they encountered were the Air Force. So the Russian Air Force responded and attacked the Wagnerians who were on the road towards Moscow. Wagnerians shot down a couple of Russian planes and and uh, helicopters and killed 13 Air Force officers. Now the Air Force, and then everything calmed down and, and uh, mm. uh, the, the uh, military action or the mutiny ended and Putin said um, he could forgive. So he forgave Prigozhin, but he said, I cannot forgive betrayal. Mm. So within a couple of months, Prigozhin is blown up on a plane I think that uh, it's the Air Force that did it because the, the Wagners attacked the Air Force, killed 13 of their top people, their top officers, downed their planes, embarrassed them in front of the whole country. And I think, uh, huh. who, who could have gotten to Prigozhin's private plane? You know, the Air Force. <laughs> they, okay. they took off, they were taking off from an Air Force facility. So, huh. We'll never uh, know, but yeah. Um, well, we probably positive. won't. But you, you, you know, you mentioned um, how uh, Ukraine now is trying to get um, people to help fight uh, that have gone over into Poland. Yeah, they how want many, to send the Nazis into Poland to round them up and bring them how, back. How many people do you think have actually been killed between? Ukraine and Russia, how many people do you think have actually been killed? I've heard some enormous numbers for the Ukrainians, but I've heard enormous numbers for the Russians, too. I, well, I'm i curious. What have you heard? Well, if you go by what the Ukrainians are, are posting, I mean, it's their own numbers, they've lost 400,000 soldiers dead. Um, they have over a million wounded who will never go back into service. Mm -hmm. 
They have no idea how many civilians have been killed, but but to lose 400,000 soldiers, they had an army of 500,000 soldiers. So they're going on recruits, old, fresh recruits, old men, students, uh, anybody they can grab. And now they want to go into Poland and start grabbing Ukrainians. Um, on the Russian side, it looks like it was an eight to one ratio. So for every eight Ukrainians, there was one Russian lost. So it's at like 50,000. 50, mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, they, the, it's been an absolute slaughter on the Ukrainian side because they, Ukraine has no air defense at this point. Absolutely nothing they sent in worked. Um, Russia has air superiority and all of the, the spy systems. They've mastered the drones, which the Ukrainians claimed they were too, too uh, primitive to do. They've mastered it. I, I could have predicted that in mm -hmm. 10 seconds. Um, uh, so now Russia is ramping up. And as it stands right now, they still have 300,000 trained soldiers in reserve who haven't, who are still in the back lines of the battlefield that haven't seen battle yet. Mm -hmm. And they've recruited another 800,000 within the country. So they will have a standing, fully equipped army of 1.2 million. And the population feels so threatened by us that, that they fully support it. This is, this is, I, I've never seen, I, I mean, Russians are slow to anger. You know, you, you, you say, the old saying, you poke the Russian bear and it's slow to wake up, but boy, when it does, uh, I don't know if they're going to get over it. I, I really doubt it. And that's one of the reasons I want to take our, our group of journalists over there. I mean, we're, we're working at the level of the, of the Russian spokesman, Maria Zakharova, the, the, spokesperson for the Russian um, foreign ministry has has approved us going, but it's it's uh, timing and uh, there's a lot of considerations, but I think it's extremely important to do it and to live stream from there to give people in the US a picture of just who they are, you know, not propaganda, just just that's just look this, at this it, it the way it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. These, these are the people well, on the other side. We have violated so many of our uh, agreements with uh, with the Russian people. Um, and when when the Soviet Union fell, uh, there were agreements between George W. Herbert Walker Bush uh, and uh, at the time uh, Yeltsin that um, we would not try to promote NATO moving into any of the other. Uh, former Soviet satellites, okay, and that was that was pretty well publicly stated. There were actual documents to that effect. Yeah. We also there was something, and you mentioned it earlier, called the Minsk Accords, uh, which again were to reiterate the fact that Russia did not want NATO moving into their territory because that would be like us, uh, in, you know. We remember the Cuban Missile Crisis because the Soviets uh, brought missiles into Cuba uh, with the idea that they would have uh, short-range ballistic missiles literally 60 miles or 80 miles from our coast. That would be the same kind of thing that we've been talking about with Russia. Tell us what your perception of how 
NATO and how the pushing of all these things that violate the basic premise of what we agreed to in 1990, 91-92, uh, how that has been uh, the kind of the catalyst for a lot of the uh, friction that is going on right now between us and the Russian people. Yes, that's absolutely true. The NATO creep has gone through the through the Baltics, through the Eastern European countries, uh, the former Czech uh, countries of Czechoslovakia, Yugoslavia, um, the Baltics, and Poland, and now Finland is joining NATO for reasons which are really beyond me. And uh, well, Turkey is part of NATO. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it's closing in, and Ukraine's entire uh, reason to be so their purpose for becoming a country was to become a new a neutral buffer zone, so that uh, Russia would not have uh, NATO missiles within 500 miles of its 500 kilometers of its borders. But uh, it, it didn't keep that agreement. And uh, it's it's interesting that Ukraine still wants to be uh, part of the European Union, but it would be, it's still tremendously in debt. Russia has stopped paying its debts. And um, that, that would be a, a tremendous mistake. So I expect Europe will probably make that mistake. Mm -hmm. um, I think now that now that so clearly Ukraine is losing, and the and the equipment that's been sent over there, forty percent of it has been destroyed. I mean, documented, destroyed. They've got the drone footage of each one getting blown up. And the tragedy is each time they blow up a personnel carrier, it's got fourteen men in it. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just it's awful, awful to watch. Um, but Americans should watch it because. You, you know, you're flying the little flag and you're thinking, um, let's all wear the little trident, which isn't a trident at all. It's the Holy Spirit. And um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just so progressive. It's insane. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely it's insane. insane. Plus, well, they're, they're, the destroying, they're destroying the farmland. I mean, the, that pollution they're is... They're making a mess out of everything. They've destroyed all the... Uh, certainly all the supply chains and all the rest that are part of getting all that produce to Europe. There's a lot of people that are talking about this is part of the globalist plan to create famine worldwide, that this is one mm. of the steps in that. And if you think about it, it makes sense. It really is kind of maybe what's going on. Yeah, Americans don't understand the Green Deal, and they should understand it, because um Russia or Ukraine was being allowed by Russia to export grain for at very low cost to to prevent famine in Africa. So all the grain from Ukraine was supposed to be shipped through the Black Sea down into Africa to to prevent famine. They they rely on it. They, they can't live without it. So they were letting the ships go through and the grain was being shipped to Europe. And it was being shipped to Europe and dumped on the European markets at, at pennies. And what it did was it undercut the European farmers. So the European farmers couldn't compete with this almost free grain that was just being uh, shipped in from, from uh, Ukraine. So, uh, and then 
the ships would come back from war grain, but they'd be filled with weapons and NATO supplies and all this. So Russian, Russia said no more, cut off the access to the Black Sea. So, um, and now Russia is providing uh, Africa with the grain and they're providing it at no cost to prevent famine because the, the grain went to Europe. And uh, there's, there's a big deal in Poland. I don't know if you saw it, but Poland is now... Uh, making Ukrainian grain illegal because it was destroying their farming community. And that's how they were trying to destroy the Dutch farmers. Right. The Dutch farmers were out in the streets with their equipment say, we can't compete. You know, you're, you're dumping free grain on the market, you know, stop it. But nobody knew where the grain was coming from. Well, it was coming from the grain deal in Ukraine and Russia stopped it. So now um, Ukraine oh. is claiming that Russia is going to starve sub-Saharan Africa, but it's not because it's shipping the grain there. So, uh, and that's another thing, uh, the U.S. is losing influence in the Sahel region of Africa between Northern Africa and sub-Saharan Africa, um, and Russia is moving in. So the Wagners are taking over mm -hmm. uh, that part of Africa. And the Chinese, the Chinese yeah, with the their Chinese. Belt and Road uh, program, they've taken over much of Africa. Uh, we are literally cutting our own throats and we're doing it with the most draconian, bizarre, uh, forceful, nasty, uh, I would call it diabolical uh, international politics that I've ever seen in my lifetime. And, uh, and why is it that uh, we don't get it, that we don't see just exactly how awful this is? It's it, same thing happened in Ukraine in that period of time when I, I all, the only thing I can say about it is they went woke. They went from being sort of level-headed, um, conservative, family-centered people to being these progressive idiots. It, it just, it just, I don't know if there's something in the water. I mean, people just changed and, and uh, Russia didn't go that way. Mm -hmm. A segment did, of course, and uh, and the Eastern Ukrainians uh, stayed very true to their to their values, but um, Western Ukraine went woke. So so even trying to talk to someone from there about what was happening was just vicious. And they were crucifying people. If they would catch um, like someone who was pro-Russian or the head of a Russian family, they would tie him upside down to a pole and set him on fire. And that was that was typical Ukrainian Nazi stuff. And that actually worked to unite Russia against the against the Nazis in Ukraine. I mean, they, they, they didn't want to be involved. They didn't want to be fighting, but they weren't going to stand for that. Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned um, how the eastern part of Ukraine was always Russian. Always. Uh, 80, 90 percent Russian speaking. Uh, didn't, in fact, the uh, Ukrainians, when they got this whole woke nonsense and uh, got rid of the the um, pro-Russian uh, president, they ended up making, for a time there, wasn't the Russian language illegal in yes. Ukraine? Yes, immediately. They declared the Russian language illegal and declared Russian genocide and started bombing Eastern Russia. They've, they've now made Russian Orthodox Church illegal. They've arrested the 
head of the Pachevsa Monastery, which is the most holy monastery in Rus. Oh. It was founded by um, actually St. Olga of Kiev, and she's buried there. And uh, uh, so they've, they've taken, they, they're subverting um, all of the old values of the things that were important and why the Ukrainians are putting, I think millions of Ukrainians have left. More people have left the country than stayed in the country. And yeah, they, uh, they've said four million, I think, have. Uh, have that's just uh, to Poland. Yeah, just to Poland. Yeah. You've got four million in Russia, because, and they'll stay there. They won't ever come back. And, and you've got uh, the millions that have gone into uh, Germany and Europe and and the ones that immigrated illegally with the help of IOM and the ones that are here coming across the border to do God knows what. And uh, it's just. Yeah, it's just insane. Insane. Now, you insane. said something to me and uh, this has stuck with me and that is that uh, the Russian people and this was several years ago, and I, I imagine it's gotten even more so, but you said the Russian people are concerned that America has lost its soul because we do so many things now under these so-called progressive leaders like uh, O'Biden, Obama, uh, all these uh, so-called progressives. We are doing so much anti-Christian uh mentoring and programs that the russian people are afraid uh they're worried about our souls talk yes. a little about that i mean yeah. isn't that awful when we have to worry about some other nation saying we've lost our soul can't can't argue with that i it's interesting two years ago when i spoke in lafayette and and really it was my first time Mm -hmm. speaking to an audience about being in the MK Ultra program, what that entailed and all of that. And I sent the link to um, a friend of mine in the Russian Duma, and she played it for the Duma. So they watched it. Wow. And, and uh, so <laughs> some of what they're saying may have come from that because they had the same, the same situation in their country where Nazis were brought into Russia and they set up uh, MK Ultra program, so they they had something very similar, mm -hmm. and uh, no, I I think I think it's true, and I said that at my at, in my speech, which uh, we should link mm -hmm. if we can link for people yeah. to watch about uh, MK Ultra and what it was like being in MK Ultra and what I think the influences are um, on our society now, which I think mm -hmm. we're seeing like right in front of our noses through the senior executive service and all the crazy things that are happening and the links to Ukraine since it, it came out of Germany and Ukraine. Um, yeah, Putin Putin gave a speech on the danger uh, to the American soul and how we're at risk and very few Americans watched it. And I uh, have actually. And no, you did. Yeah, it was a good speech. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he's done the same thing saying, look, we're not trying to uh, go to war with people. We're not trying to pick a fight, but if you guys continue to do all the things that you're doing, we have a responsibility to our citizens to at least stand up and fight back. So quit doing this stuff. Quit 
uh, you know, and, and again, it goes back to they, they talked about how Putin uh, influenced the election in 2016, stole the election, and they used that as justification for going after Donald Trump. And in fact, it sounds to me like we've influenced virtually every election worldwide uh, in, in the last probably uh, 20 years, 25 years. Yeah, and in retrospect, you can look back and see that they had to make Russia the villain because they were planning this this uh, genocide in eastern Ukraine against Russia and, and to start um, war between NATO and Russia. So all that was in the plan. So the fact that they, they picked on Russia, who had nothing to do with uh, any more than any other country had, had anything to do with, with Donald Trump at all, um, they had to make it the, the villain of the story, but it doesn't fit, you know. Um, no, it would fit really if they could do it fast enough, but no, they didn't. It, it really doesn't. It doesn't fit the scenario. And then uh, we listen. We learned that the 2020 election, um, it really was stolen, and uh, it wasn't Russia that was at the bottom of it. It was Spain and Italy and Germany and China and uh, Serbia and all these different groups that were involved in this process that were flipping votes from uh, Trump to O'Biden. And uh, I mean, this happened in a massive scale. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, but the German, uh, German newspaper, and I don't remember which one it was, had predicted the election in 2020, and at the time that it uh, sent this out, it showed that Trump won overwhelmingly and that he had over 400 of the electoral votes, that he won a super majority, and all of a sudden the whole system shuts down, and the next thing you know, it's uh, three hours later, they start it back up, and guess what? Uh, China Joe's in the lead, and it, it happened literally miraculously in a matter of an hour or two, and they had to shut the whole system down to get it accomplished. That reminds me of the the uh, satellite live satellite coverage of the moon landing, and Australia saw a Coke bottle roll across the moon, <laughs> and they couldn't erase it because it was live. And, mm -hmm, and, uh, mm -hmm. So the whole country of Australia saw this Coke bottle, but it didn't make any difference. They believed it anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so um, much uh, fake stuff. We, well, we, you know, we're we're dealing right now with a world that, uh, and you mentioned the AI. Uh, that's a big part of this. They are literally now bringing computer technology in to tell us what we're supposed to think and changing everything in that regard. And I'm, I'm just, it's a terrifying thought that we are that totally controlled, but we really are, aren't we? Yeah, I look at, I look at AI. What, what happens when AI takes over a segment of the population? I think you get Burning Man. Exactly. You know, how, how it's laid out in that semicircle with the, all the satanic references and the symbols and all this. It's, it's just like it's coming up out of the ground and you've got all these demented people running around naked and 
and uh, thinking they're the top of the world, but the, you know they control the money. So, in their their minds, they are top of the world. And I was part of that group for a while while I was while I was uh, in Seattle in the '80s, and uh, I was making plenty of money and had successful tech business myself, and and uh, yeah, until I went to Russia and went in a different direction. But um, so in a lot of ways, they as they see it, they are the masters of the universe. But what do you get? You get an ugly, dirty, muddy, soulless, obnoxious mm-hmm. wad. I mean, there's Satanism right there. Burning man. Yeah. Well, it really is. We're going to be talking about that in two weeks this coming Tuesday <laughs> because I have uh, a friend who was actually there for that event, and he's going to be talking about that event. So... Uh, Carl Teichrib uh, was at the Burning Man, and uh, he said, you know, there's, there's so much going on right now. It's the clandestine activity of our government and of all these different groups, it's just bizarre. And, of course, we're seeing it now with January 6th. I think you, you know, you mentioned January 6th early on, but uh, this latest uh, 22 years for the Proud Boy that uh, was ahead of the Proud Boys, but he wasn't even in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. He was in Baltimore, and yet they somehow managed to give him 22 years in prison. This is so draconian and so bizarre, and we've got to do something to stop it. Let's talk about the trip to Russia uh, to um, actually do interviews with people in Russia and to do program there. Tell me a little about that, if you would. Well, um, when the time's right, we'll go. You're coming, right? I hope so, yeah. yeah. It, I want to do some interviews. I really do. Yeah, yeah. We'll be able to interview people in government, people in the streets, mm-hmm. people in business, and basically they all want to talk. So... Um, uh, we'll be free to talk to to just about anybody. And uh, there's a new streaming service, which is going to be uh, coming up soon. Actually, they were at the at the Red Pill Expo, and uh, uh, they will cover it live. And uh, uh, also other streamers will cover it live. So I want people to, to be able to, to get past the gobbledygook and just see the people on the other side. It's, we are so shut off. We are so blocked out. Uh, we're under such a, uh, uh, we're under the Iron Curtain. Um, you've got we to are. pierce it and go through to the other side. Yeah, we, we've, uh, we've got a, uh, a lamestream media that is so totally controlled from the top down that we, what we get for news is just uh, pathetic. I mean, oh. we don't really even get the news, do we? One a very popular program in Russia right now is there's a group of Russians who are in the U.S. and they're traveling around to the different cities and showing how how awful the cities are and and you can watch this on YouTube. I'll send you the link. Yeah, because uh, looking at it through their eyes, they're going, "This is the United States." You know, they live in villages. They they have. I mean, look at this these messes people are living in the streets there's poop everywhere you know it's it's uh and they're they're going to 
little, they're going everywhere. They're going to little tiny towns and villages and talking to people and, and, and uh, big cities. And uh, they went to Baltimore mm -hmm. <laughs> were absolutely horrified. I can imagine. Yeah. So Russia's seeing that and, and uh, I want us to go and, and, and just open it up. So, so uh, it, it's, it's interesting though, because you don't know how bad we've gotten until you see it through their eyes looking right. at us. Right. And, well, uh, and, and the, here's the thing, Juliet, and I know you feel the same way I do. I am a, a red, white, and blue, 100% American. I absolutely love our uh, original uh, formation of this country, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, uh, everything about this nation. I, I believe that we are a country under God that was created under God, and that uh, part of our whole process of unalienable rights is that connection with God. I believe all these things, and it's a very positive thing. And yet I see what's going on around the world, and I think it's time for people all over the world to take government back into their own hands and control their governments and quit being afraid of a system that is there to destroy them. I well, think like, that's why we need to do this trip. Yes, to yes, we do. Mm -hmm. And that's why they're doing things like this, these uh, 22 year sentence for for uh, uh, Tario. And, you know, it's to intimidate and force us to live in fear or the vax coming back. You know, it's fear, 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 fear. So be afraid of Russia. Be afraid of the of the Russians. Well, they're afraid of us, I'll tell you. So um well, the fear shouldn't work anymore. We've got no. to start loving uh, people with our hearts, and that is part of being a Christian, and that's part of understanding. Uh, incidentally, I, I, I didn't get a copy of his book to you, I don't think, but uh, um, I need to get a copy of Elias Alias's book uh, on the, uh, uh, it's called... Uh, uh, Targeting red. Targeted red. Targeted I've got red. it. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Anyway, I want to because he he says the same thing. It's it's uh, the the people who want to control us want to make us live in fear, and what we've got to do is break out of that cycle. Once Absolutely, again. and it will take some physical actions like going there. You know. Going there. Well, I I got a feeling I'd have a pretty good uh, support group. Uh, um, Pamphlet, what do you think? If I go to uh, mm -hmm. Russia with uh, with Juliet and we do some live streaming from Russia uh, to find out what's really going on on the other side of the world, do you think we would have a platform that might play it? Of course, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how that would work, but I'm sure we can figure it out. Well, yeah. I... Yeah, I think we're we're uh, pretty serious about this. Uh, Julie's huh. been talking with me about this for probably eight or nine months, and she has been in touch with uh, Julia. What what is the lady's name? She's the head of Mar Maria Maria Zakharova. You can look her up. She's the spokesperson for the Russian Foreign Ministry. She's very I know I've very come across high. her somewhere before. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's. Uh, very beautiful, very intelligent, and I think the world of her. 
and uh, so she's our contact on the other side for organizing this so it's and mm -hmm. uh Ludmila Stebenkova who's head of the international committee of the Duma so we've got the we've got the top line they're they're like antsy about the the timing of everything they don't want us to to get uh disrupted on the way there or something so yeah. um it, it'll yeah. work out it'll work out when it needs to work out because well we'll figure it out and i i do want to uh I, I, if, if the opportunity is there, I'd, 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 uh, I'd do that because I have that right as an American unless they've, uh, you know, completely uh, shut down our borders and all that. Uh, I have the right to see other people and to talk with other people about things that are going on. And yes. So we're going to do that. Juliet, thank you. Uh, as always, it's a fascinating discussion. And uh, we will. I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to go to Russia and get a chance to meet Russian people in person. From the lakes of Minnesota to the hills of Tennessee, across the plains of Texas, oh, from sea to shining sea. From Detroit down to Houston, New York to L.A., where there's pride in every American heart, and it's time we stand and say. There ain't no doubt.